Ladies and gentlemen, once again, we have... Can I call you my mentor? Officially. You can call. Now, remember, the word mentor yeah. is always capitalized ah. because it's a name. He was Telemachus's tutor. And, uh, you know, uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey, Ulysses' yeah. son, Telemachus, had a tutor named Mentor. So it's a proper name. And it is why I think that's important to remind people about is that here's a person who's so important in Western civilization that we've taken his name and we've made it into a, a wonderful term. Mm -hmm. we, we have taken someone, wouldn't it be great? To, I mean, 5,000 years from now, Oh, you are such a Gregory to me. Wouldn't that be just <laughs> yes. I mean, Imagine. You're such a Dan to me. I can't You're such a it. Dan, you know? Can I call you my Dan? <laughs> you can call me my Dan, yes. <laughs> I love this. Oh, I didn't know. And the story, uh, Odyssey, um, is that a Greek story? What, oh, a yeah. Spartan story, right? Oh, no, not Spartan. Homer, Homer, uh, Homer, yeah, it right? Is. Okay, okay, I guess it, you know, there's, a, there's a hint of Spartan there, but yeah. So Ulysses was the person who did not want to go to fight the Trojan War. He did everything he possibly could to get out of it. He thought the whole idea was stupid. And then he gets, he has this massive 10 year adventure getting home. Um, you know, depending on how you read it, a lot of things happen. But the most important scene is the boys get cocky. And they have a discus throwing competition and Ulysses kicks their butt. And uh, once again, discus throwing once again, shows up all the time. Yes. Fascinating. Fascinating. Because I am now, oh, I have to finish the introduction. Uh, for those who don't know, I mean, we're on Spotify as well now. So some people maybe don't see your face and maybe they recognize your voice. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the, the almighty Dan John with us legendary strength coach and like i said my mentor i can call him my mentor i've learned so many things from this man which i'm incredibly grateful for i value each and every word that he says and i ponder it i think about it and i i i realize and i understand that he's so far ahead and so far ahead because you've been doing this for so long right so you have seen so many things and us youngins, we need to listen a little more uh, to the ones who went before yeah. us and, and, and learn from the wisdom. So yeah, let's pick up right yeah. on that. You know, um, I was talking, uh, I was listening to an interview with someone I have great respect for, my mentor, a guy named Clarence Bass, who's uh, his, his books are called Ripped, R-I-P-P-E-D. Mm -hmm. He's a famous bodybuilder who got down to 2.4% body fat. Wow. And the person interviewing wasn't doing a very good job because the person had no grounding in the history of our sport. So now uh, Clarence is probably 20 years older than I am. I, I think almost exactly. It's pretty close. And, uh, and he's still doing fine, still working out, still kicking butt. And it was interesting because the person kept thinking that the way, the way we trained always has been bombing, blitzing, high protein specific body the basic bodybuilding and no mm -hmm. offense i'm gonna add a word here bodybuilding nonsense that's become the 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 way we do things in the same mm -hmm. way uh and it's th there's problems with that because mm -hmm. and i don't want to get anti-steroid or anything but for example to be successful on certain diets it really helps to have take anabolics mm -hmm. um and you can see it online there's a lot of 
Instagrammers who will tell all these things, follow me in there. And it's clear they're using juice or on the female side, this is what a young uh, bodybuilder friend of mine, she goes, there's, there's two drugs. One's called, it starts with a T and the other one is clenbuterol, mm -hmm. which Tren. was actually. Trend, right. Trend and clen. Yeah. Trend and clen. That's exactly. Trend hard, uh, train hard and eat clen. That's what they say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you know, they're, they're, they're telling these things and it's just like, And so the problem with most people when they listen to us, uh, Gregory, is that almost universally people think when I'm talking, I'm talking about body composition and what they're hearing is I want to look good at the, you know, at the pool party so I can hook up with hotties for a one night stand. And that, that is obviously that's part of our field that is, and it truly is, mm -hmm. or I want to look good at, at a wedding. I want to look good at a reunion and that's all fine. Mm-hmm. But that's not how we train. That's not how, for example, um, I, I used this example years ago. I was helping this guy. This guy had died, and his family asked me to help move uh, his stuff out of his house. So I showed up my pickup truck, and I'm just throwing stuff in the back. And this other boy from Twilla out here, Twilla, Utah, shows up. And I start carrying a box over because it's his grandfather. And I'm about to put it in the back of his pickup truck. He's, no, 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 no. Don't put it in my pickup truck. I don't want it to get scratched. Hmm. And I stopped and I thought to myself, this is it. So at the time I was probably early fifties and here's, he was probably 21, 22. And uh, he liked to take his shirt off and prance around. He didn't carry a single box in, of his own grandfather's into any trucks. And he wouldn't let anybody put any of his stuff, stuff in his truck. So he looked good prancing around in his, but he couldn't do shit when it counted. He couldn't carry a couch. He couldn't carry boxes up a flight of stairs and put them in his deceased grand in, to help out his, his family. Mm -hmm. So it's great to look good. But I mean, if a fight breaks out, I want shot putters and wrestlers on my side and you can have the bodybuilders on your side if a fight breaks up and, and, and it's an issue because you got Jane Fonda with go for the burn. You got Arnold with go for the burn. Mm -hmm. You've got all these burn, burn, burn. And the truth is if you want to throw the discus far, if you want to put big weights overhead, if uh, like what happened to me last year, if two trees get knocked down in your backyard in a storm, mm -hmm. you, you don't need to look good to carry stumps and stumps and limbs for mm -hmm. about eight hours a day for two days. So our whole neighborhood lost about 70 trees in one storm. Wow. And basically for about three days, about 12 hours a day, I carried stumps and wood. And folks, I don't know what muscle picking up a stump does and throwing it into a big uh, waste container. And I don't know what value it is. I don't know what muscle it works when you saw a limb off I'm not sure, but when a tree is on your house, you're not going to ask what muscles this works. Or if it's, this is, Dan, so you work 12 hours, three days in a row. What, was that a fat burning thing? Yeah, it was fat burning. Yeah, I burned a lot of fat those three days because if I wasn't, I'd be still repairing this house. Yeah. <laughs> Most definitely. And what you're saying, um, and but before I want to mention this, I wrote it down because it's such a beautiful segue into what I have some questions about and what I'm highly interested to get, uh, to get your opinion on. But what happened in this interview between your uh, mentor and 
Oh, Clarence, ba- uh, Clarence yeah. Bassett. It was just interesting because the guy kept saying, well, you know, Clarence, you know, I, I think you'll agree with me that you need to have, you need to have protein drinks and eat protein at every meal and, you know, be, you know, zero carbons, no fat. Mm-hmm. And, and Clarence just kind of goes, no, no, I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> so it's interesting. The guy who's clean and 2.4% body fat doesn't agree with what the other guy was saying. So it's it, but this is, but there's an important thing here, Gregory, that I want you to almost memorize. Always listen to the best and brightest in every field. Mm-hmm. You know, get in that, get it in Earl Nightingale. He always talks about the top 5%. And the top 5% means you got to be one in 20. And in my career, I've always tried to be in the top 5% of everything I did as an instructor, as a professor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I tried to be a top a one in 20 father, you know, I tried to always be not the best cause that's really hard to do, but I always tried to be in that conversation as pretty good, you know? Hmm. And when you're looking for advice, like for example, if you had a choice, uh, you're in Germany now, right? Switzerland. Oh, you're in Switzerland. Yeah. Um, you know, okay. You guys had a great shot putter a long time ago. Uh, Werner Werner yeah. Yeah. And so if you're talk, looking for shot put advice, you'd go to Werner. You know, I can give you some good ideas, but he threw uh, a lot more meters than me. Mm-hmm. So go talk to him for 20 minutes. And when he tells you to do, you know, if he says you got to do snatches and squats, but then you talk to somebody who's not very good and they say, oh, it's all bench press. Listen to who you're getting advice from. Most people don't. <laughs> and, you know, if you come to my house, Gregory, um, I got six bedrooms, three baths. I got a four car garage with a gym and most of it. I got a sauna, I got a hot tub, massive deck. If you want to talk to, if you want to talk to somebody about, and I have three grandchildren, I've got a real normal life. I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not some weirdo. You know what I mean? That, Mm. you know, I don't, you know, for, all I eat for breakfast is, you know, sardines that I, you know, got out of the North Sea with my bare hands. And I live on a rock. And I live on a rock. And my only food is shark liver mixed with brewer's yeast. And I yes. put it in a blender and Raw. I drink two Raw. gallons of the, three, four liters of that every day. Yeah. You know, I, sometimes you have to just sit back and go, who, who am I listening to? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some, you know, there are some real weirdos out there and there are some. And, and you know what I, what I see from, you know, from my point of view, because um, trying to make a name for yourself in, in the, let's say like whatever field you want to pick, let's just pick the kettlebell world or sure. fitness world. And with these new these new mediums that we have, these new possibilities to make your voice heard, I do understand why people come up with crazy concoctions of ideas yeah. and, 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 and marketing slogans because they want to stick out from the rest of us. Or, or, or they want to they wanna make themselves heard because it, there's so much noise that you have to almost do something very crazy in order to get hurt. Yet, yet I've realized as well, this is a short-term view. And long-term, as they always say, right? The cream rises to the top. So you have to just put in the work, stay at it. But I do understand why there's so many weirdos out because people wanna 
make a name for themselves, right? Well, and, and it's a lot sexier. I mean, if I was, okay, there's a girl on YouTube who pushes the idea of eating 50 bananas a day. That's her whole, mm -hmm. her whole, I mean, that's, well, and other, among other things. Mm -hmm. And she's genetically gifted. I mean, she would look good if she ate 49 bananas a day, okay? <laughs> yes. uh, 51 <laughs> bananas a day. Mm. But I know who she is because she's so, she's so out there. Now, having said that, I, I can't in good conscience encourage someone to follow that path. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And you can do, you, I mean, I remember when kettlebells first came, the most pop, one of the most popular things to do was juggle them. Mm -hmm. And I remember we were at, uh, I was with the Mac uh, Mac McCarthy, not McCarthy brothers, but that's close enough. Mac McNamara brothers. Mm -hmm. And they were showing me figure eights and, you know, it's, it was just like doing it with the basketball. You'd, mm -hmm. you'd swimming around your legs and you whirl mm -hmm. around your body and you, and they had these, they would do these snatches where they would let go of the bell and catch it in one hand and do it. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and I said that that's great stuff. And then I said, and I would never use this with my athletes because we, Oh, and, and they both said, yes, absolutely. We just do this for fun. Mm -hmm. It was, it's not training. It, mm -hmm. well, you, would, you get a good workout, but mm -hmm. it was a fun yeah. way to Mo yeah. most definitely. Yeah. I see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the funny, okay. yeah. Funny it's thing okay is this, this is fun. where, yeah. And funny thing is, this is actually where, where uh, when you follow down the history path of which I have uh, recently, I had a, I did a video on it, and I had a great conversation with uh, Geronimo Milo, who is, I would say he's the Sean Mosen or the Pavel Satsulin of of Argentina. So he brought one of the first kettlebells there, and he's an awesome guy, and he made this incredible research and into kettlebells, and actually come to find out that kettlebells. Wait, he wrote that book. Yeah. Kettlebell he Secrets. sent me a copy of it. Oh, awesome. You got to read it. Holy cow, that thing is. Yeah, it's powerful. And it's crazy how how I, I, I really went down the rabbit hole. And I did a video that, that's like 20 minutes. I really, really went deep. And the, the crazy thing is that the physical culturists from Europe actually started lifting with kettlebells. <laughs> and that was, and, and it goes back into Germany from the Turnfathers the Jan, Jan and Gutsmuts, that's 1800, 1900. Then you have the book that I have, have, have read, which is beautiful because Geronimo sent it to me. And it's in German from Theodor Siebert. And Theodor Siebert was also heavy. He was the, the father of athletics in Germany. And from there, it, uh, it spilled over into Russia because, and that's the funny thing, is because you had a very famous figure called Dr. Krajewski. And Dr. Krajewski traveled Europe because he knew there are some crazy German, French, English, and, and, and Swiss or whatever Italian dudes who lift, that, who lift crazy amounts of weights and do crazy stuff with it. And even before then, you had, you had guys like um, the, the, these, uh, um, the, these, these names are escaping me now, but these crazy strongmen from Italy who started and then they were teaching it down, you know, to, to, to their people. And you even had women, the first strong women who were lifting and throwing kettlebells. And Dr. Krajewski took what he learned in Europe, took it to Russia and him and, uh, ah, I forgot his name as well. Another Russian who was his um, student, they then cultivated kettlebells to a degree 
where then it almost seems that the kettlebell comes from Russia because they cultivated long cycle, clean and press, snatch. But funny thing is you have a guy named Pitla who was a Polish guy and he's called the father of Greco-Roman wrestling in Poland. He actually developed some kettlebell exercises. So it's crazy how it all started in Europe, kind of. And then it was taken to Russia and from there it, it, it cultivated in Russia. And then that's why the funny thing is I told this Geronimo, I told him, you know, I always said that um, Pavel started a kettlebell revolution. But after reading his book, I said, actually, Pavel created a kettlebell renaissance. So there's a difference. Completely kettlebell was prevalent before. Completely unplanned, but this is a book called The Track and Field Omnibook. And uh, it's a book that, this is the book, of course, this, this is the book that changed my life. So, uh, but uh, let me just, uh, oh, I don't know where it would be. Good. You got 10 seconds here? Yeah, of course. Um, well, this, um, I'm just trying real, I'm, I'm making the mistake of, uh, I, this is unprepared, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, but when you look at the, when you look at the pictures in here, you'll see kettlebells yeah. being utilized. Yeah. yeah. This is from 1971. And I saw my first kettlebells and we, oh, and here's some, I mean, here's the hammer throw. And just on this page, you see, uh, you see two kettlebell yeah. exercises. Yeah. Yeah. So the first kettlebells I ever saw were in 19, it's either 74 or 75. And it's when the USA USSR track meet happened, happened over at Berkeley and their hammer throwers were training at uh, the college of San Mateo. So I went and watched and here's why this is interesting. After that guys like Lance deal and some other throwers invented what they thought they saw. And so in America, the tradition was called PUDS P U D S because what they heard wasn't, this is poods. Pood, the Russian word for 16 KG, right? They heard PUD. So in wow. America, we had throwing weights throughout my whole career. I never used them. It was much more of an East Coast thing, mm -hmm. but it was a, basically a, a piece of lead with um, a little wire hanger yeah. and you, you threw it. Yeah. But it came from the kettlebells that the, the Soviets were using. And so really, you know, it, it's funny because Gill Athletics, I still think sells throwing puds i still wow. think they sell them wow but throwing you have to understand puds. the history yeah. Yeah. to get yeah yeah so you're right and you know when you study the history of the olympic lifts it's very convoluted it's much different than you want it's not smooth it's not simple yeah uh, but, yeah and, and but that's the beauty of it. it it's when when i really dig deep on on this kettlebell stuff i love what geronimo says he says listen these ring weights they call they used to call them ring weights when so, now, the germans ring weights were a little different right yeah. they were more like a, a highland game throwing implement yeah right? it, yeah a little bit but they yeah. in in uh even theodor siebert mentioned ring weights uh, uh right so he mentioned them in his book from 1907, I think, or 18, 18 something, at, at the beginning of the 20th century, so 19 something, was the second edition that he put out. So he already mentions these things. 
And that's what the fascinating thing is that this, the kettlebell was around for so long, but here it goes, and that's what I love what Geronimo says. He says, for example, listen, these, they were weights on markets, we know this, and of course it may be that some Russian farmer out in the tundra of Siberia started throwing around these things. Yes, but the problem is we have no record. We have no evidence that we can point towards it. And then he even talks about the origins of the Turkish getup, which I was like, oh, now I know I understand where it comes from. The idea was just getting up with a weight, right? Yeah. And, the, and originated it was a wrestling with practice. Wrestling yeah. practice. And, and the funny thing is that it originated with a barbell, not with yeah. a kettlebell. So people were trying to get up having a weight, right? That, that's the idea. And the funny thing is they were looking at people, how they stand up. And there's this one particular phase in the Turkish getup where you are sitting, where you're sitting, right? And you have the hand behind you. And so I told Geronimo from my culture, I know for a fact that my uh, relatives and my people love to sit like this. We love to sit like this. And the funny thing is we love to sit not on the couch. We love to sit on the floor. So that's some kind of a Turkish sitting position. But it's not just Turkey. It's all Yugoslavia. It's, it's yeah. Croatia. It's all, you know, all the Balkans do it. So then I can imagine that somebody looked at these folks, especially uh, Vas. I think Vas, Vas was his name or Vas. I can't remember. And then they were like, you're getting up from a Turkish position. So this is kind of like how Turkish get up, got mixed in it, but it's not from Turkey. But I heard this story that it came from the oil wrestlers, which is not the case, actually, when you have the evidence mm. that Geronimo presents. It's fascinating. I want to make a, a broad point here. So Earl Nightingale is someone I, I really follow his, I followed his work a long time. He's no longer with us, but he's a genius. He says something that I, I, I need to say is so important in our field. He says, every business you go to, someone's sitting here like this saying, yeah, I invented the post-it note, but no one listened to me and somebody else got the invention. I invention mm -hmm. I invented the steering wheel. Nobody listened mm -hmm. to me and somebody else got mm -hmm. the credit. Mm -hmm. Back in the mid-1980s when I was an American football coach, I was tinkering with this idea called the it's now called RPO, run pass option. But guess mm -hmm. what? I didn't have the courage to push it far enough. Since I invented the goblet squat, which I did, so many people claim, well, we were doing that before. And good for you, but you didn't put it out there. Mm -hmm. I wrote an article for Men's Health. I put it mm -hmm. out there in, in uh, R the RKC and Dragon Door. Mm -hmm. I, was, I, was the one who, I, I was the one who didn't just take the idea. I risked the putting it out there. So, yeah, it could be very true that some Russian farmer out there was doing this. And I'm sure it was. I'm sure... Mm -hmm. um yeah like high jumping yeah. try to find who invented the high jump or long jump you're not mm -hmm. going to mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know we just all agree that you know running and seeing who can go the farthest who picked who invented picking up a rock and throwing it the farthest mm -hmm. well i did i no, no it's yeah <laughs> yes. but yes but that is the one thing that pavel did very well in 98 was that he got a community together to try yeah. things out to try yeah. this out to yeah Here's what we're doing. Here's yeah. what it can do. And then honestly, I mean, you know, no matter what Steve Maxwell thinks of me and my injuries, you know, he was the person that brought the Turkish getup to mm -hmm. Dragon Door. Mm 
Mm-hmm. I brought the goblet squat there. Mm-hmm. Um, the clean and press, I don't know. Uh, when you look at Pavel's book, uh, Russian Kettlebell Challenge, and you look at his, you know, his challenge, then it's the snatch and the bench, the bent press. Those mm-hmm. are the two exercises that you're supposed to do mm-hmm. uh, every day. Um, not the swing and the Turkish getup. So the, it is the, the most amazing thing is I would say this is that in the 24 years, 25, maybe depending how you count it, uh, they've become to the point that some of the shittiest training I, I see done on the internet and at gyms is done with kettlebells. Now it only took 25 years for it to go it's, from a very high standard to absolutely. So hats off to all of you crappy personal trainers. <laughs> We don't have the intellectual yeah. integrity oh or courage to actually learn what the hell you're doing before you coach it. Most definitely. And that's what I keep, uh, you know, I, I love what you're saying about putting it out there. I think that's the idea that I'm tinkering around with and that I'm actually pushing is the idea of this hybrid style where, where you're like, okay, listen, we take some and we actually do this. I, I talked to Angie so many times and I tell her, listen, I don't see anybody do it. We, we combine the kettlebell sport element with some hard style elements, we combine it into a circuit type of training. And the funny thing is when I realized it, that even the sport guys don't think about this, is when I talked to Dennis Vazilev and we had a conversation. And then uh, he was kind of like, I remember because it was my first podcast that I had. And he was kind of like a little bit uh, confused because I was like, well, you're, because I paid him for a session and for the podcast. And then he said- Wait, you pay? Yeah. Hello? <laughs> yeah, he did. Hello? But I, I, yeah. Ah, I hope this makes it to the. I don't know if this yeah. is gonna make it. It depends up. on the views, you know. Wow. It depends on the views. Wow. Now listen, I, the funny thing is, then let me clarify. I had a. I booked him for a training session, and then I asked him if I can do an interview, and and hook it onto the training session. And then I actually posted it, and this was the first kind of like podcast. So I thought, okay, well, let, let's let's keep it rolling. And so when I had this conversation with him. He was kind of like confused because I was like, listen, I don't want to compete with jerk snatch and long cycle. So it was like, well, kind of like, why, why, why are you booking me for kind of like, he didn't say it, but he was kind of confused. So then I said, well, because I want to use elements like the long cycle and the snatch and the jerk in the sports style in a circuit training and combine it with a get up or whatever. He was like, wow, really? And so this is where I came up with, okay, people actually, I believe Steve Cotter was the original hybrid combining these ideas and you guys combine these ideas after, especially those who went to Russia and then talked to these folks. And now I'm kind of like just putting it out there saying, I, I think this is a hybrid. You have both styles and you combine the best of both worlds and use it in a, in a, in a workout or training setting. And yeah. This is. I will say this, and now I know that the the, the Soviets are still, or Russians are, are still like the best in this sport. But it is an interesting thing. So he's no longer with us, but Yuri Sadiq was the war rec- is the world record holder in the hammer. And my friend Vasily and I, I actually, when kettlebells first came out, I actually talked to a Soviet hammer thrower and a Soviet Olympic lifter, and I asked him about kettlebells, and it was more like. A, there was absolute confusion because what is an extremely small sport in Switzerland that very few people do? Is there a small, small sport? 
you know, it's like fifth comp, uh, the pent pentathlon, where you have to run and then give the. Is it called the pentathlon? The track modern pentathlon. Yeah, modern well, pentathlon. Uh, you you sword yeah. fight, you ride. Yeah. Okay. Well, they were. To them, it was like the smallest. Why are we talking about that? It was such a small sport. And actually, I think what Pavel did so well yeah. is that, I mean, mm -hmm. you can talk about GS all day long, but it's it's really like this. And I think Pavel did more for GS than any mm -hmm. Russian ever did because mm -hmm. It got people talking kettlebells yeah, yeah. and these and this Put group kind of went in and mm -hmm. said, well, there's also a sport, mm -hmm. you know, it'd be like me talking about the barbell and then someone raising their hand in the back. You know, there's a sport where we do bench press, squat and deadlift with the barbell. And I would be up there on the stage going, really? You guys really? Oh, I didn't know you could compete with this thing. And <laughs> yeah. somebody else in the back says, or you could snatch it and clean and jerk and add up the two numbers and call it a total. Really? really? So the problem always, I think, Gregory, mm -hmm. and this is just something that I, I always try to sprinkle into our conversations, is that the kettlebell is one, one I think, and obviously I think this, I think it's in that small number of tools that really helps high performance sports. Mm -hmm. Oh, and you can also take that single tool by itself and compete with it. In the same way, you can take that barbell and do two different sports with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You follow? And I think what hurts us sometimes in our conversations is that we don't, is that the GS people think, oh, yeah, we've been doing this since 1732. We just don't, we've lost all the history books. Well, you didn't lose them. It didn't happen. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> even you know that's crazy even when you when you look back in in the physical culturists who were using kettlebells they were throwing it pressing it lifting it the, one of the first exercises actually was with the bras tendu yeah you, the bras you tendu, just, right yeah, yeah you just you just hold it in fact yeah. that was in one of the olympic games in the olympic yeah. lifting was they called it the crucifix yeah yeah the crucifix but, right know, yeah. but here's the thing if we were both yoga people, I would be sitting up here and saying, what people are talking about yoga is about a hundred years old. And if we were talking about the Scottish Highland games, the Highland games that we're talking about now, in fact, saying that it's a hundred years old, I, I, what we consider the Highland games now is radically different than the Highland games, even 50 years ago, or at least in my career, 40 years ago. You know, but now everyone's, but if you're, if you're, a, you've been doing Highland games for 15 years without knowing the history, you'd be like, oh, this has been from uh, the Picts and the Scots were doing this while they were fighting the Roman Empire. Yeah, they might have been doing stone puts and they might have <laughs> yes. been doing the caber, yeah. but mm -hmm. the, uh, the hammer is only from the, 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 the use of the axle and it might only be 500 mm -hmm. years. Yeah. Not being a jerk. I'm just saying this is a very common thing. And putting it on the map, actually, I love how you how you phrase this. It's and you, you say two things which make so much sense. It is such a fringe sport. The kettlebell sport is and no disrespect to anybody competing, but it is an incredibly fringe sport. And you have almost I would say if you are 
trying to make a name for yourself in the kettlebell world as one of the best GS coaches out there, you have a very small margin of, of, of being successful or very small possibility so you, to, to even make a living. Let, uh, put it like so this. So I make right? about, I don't, do you, do you understand dollars there in, in yeah, Switzerland? Yeah. If Most I said, definitely. So I make about $15 million a year coaching GS. Okay, that's a joke. Yeah. That's a joke. Yeah. It, it, it's just, yeah. just it's impossible. Never. Yeah. You, it's impossible. If you coach. Yeah. 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 Go, keep but, going. But, but people, you know, I, I do. Uh, and I do understand this as well. When I look at Dennis, for example, he's he he's bred to do this. He, he yeah. he's he's a, he's burning for a kettlebell sport. And, and the numbers show his habits show his technique shows. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yet understanding that you want to make it applicable to to many people because actually being successful is when you take the huge part of the population who doesn't lift and want to actually try to help them and this is where you can make a living and then you take this powerful tool and make it accessible this is where the success is and lies and the funny thing is i've realized this as well even with my content the more complicated my content is, when I talk about stuff that I really love and I go down the rabbit hole, the less views it gets. So then I'm like, okay, this is more like for, for the dedicated folks. You got to open it up and make it accessible so that people understand it. People start lifting, adhering let's to talk the about, uh, yeah. Let's talk about making money as a discus throwing coach. It's the same issue. So mm -hmm. I don't charge for coaching the discus. And there's a good reason. I, I feel I owe it to my coaches mm, to cook, mm, but, mm -hmm. but you honestly think you're going to make a lot of money as a discus throwing coach? No, you can mm -hmm. make a lot more. My friend Gernot, he's got a whole bunch of gyms just south of you. Well, close to you in Germany. Gernot's a former discus thrower and he makes all of his money, uh, you know, with on fat loss, 30, 30 for 30 workouts. Mm -hmm. You've heard, uh, do are the less mills, uh, gyms? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. They're huge, right? Well, yeah. Huge. What, what did he do? What, what, what did he do as a sport? Do you know? No. It was a discus thrower. Really? Wow. Yeah, a very good one too. Oh, we took it. And far. but wow. here's the thing. Mm -hmm. You got Dan, John, Gernot, Les, all discus throwers. Yeah. Do any of us? Do any of us? You know. I didn't <laughs> even know that you were but throwing I, the discus. I didn't know Dan. I just knew kettlebells, ten thousand swing challenge. Dan, John, that's the guy that I have to talk to. That's I'm what I knew. Thrower. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Look, I'll, I'll See? send you videos. I'll send you videos. Yeah. I, I know. I know then now I know, but originally I, when I, when I heard your name, it was for me, it was like, okay, kettlebells, 10,000 swing challenge was the, he, he's one of the OGs who was with the guys who started this thing. And then I found out you were throwing the discus. Yeah. Right? So, and my, my point is that you always have, if you want to have any kind of economic security and things are different here in the States than they are in, in Europe, mm -hmm. you have to branch out to the everybody else client, which means mm -hmm. you have to deal with you, people want to move better, feel mm -hmm. better, look better. Mm -hmm. And that's, those are the, and so for me, I use my kettlebell skills that help my athletes. I transition them into how I can help the general population or anybody who's willing to pay me money. Mm, awesome. So Dan, let's pivot a little bit into the last uh, half an hour that I have with you. Yuri okay. Verkhoshansky. I I bought his book. 
right? The Wait, special show, show strength the... training manual for coaches. Yeah. Yuri Verkhoshansky. Yeah. I read two of his books. Yeah. Incredibly incredibly hard to read i remember yeah. one i picked up one of his books because pavel always talks about this guy okay so we're, I picked, uh, we're not going to talk about him oh okay well <laughs> uh about yuri may i ask why i've talked to some of the best soviet uh, athletes ever and uh they say universally that this, the, the, this, the materials that we have here in the West from the Soviets, uh, basically, are you sit, they sat down with athletes, asked them, and then packaged it into extremely complicated words. Wow. Uh, like my friend Vasily said one time, Dan, and he, Vasily has a, 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 a real strong ass, accent and uh, almost like a, Barcel a, a Barcelonian Russian accent. Okay. You know, Bar you know Barcelona. You know, yeah, Spain, yeah, Barcelona. Mm -hmm. yeah. They got the Barcelona. Thin, uh, Barcelona. Barcelona. Yeah. So he talks so, and he goes <laughs> Spanish Russian, <laughs> and he, he says to me one time, you know, Dan, he goes, you know, the the great the great mass of uh, uh, Soviet lifters. Yeah, he goes, they were illiterate. They wouldn't have been able to read this. Hmm. They see. He goes. The, the, he goes in, in his time education was so bad in the soviet union a lot of the lifters uh they were being raised to do be manual labors and they couldn't have read any of this and he meant literally any of it but i'm starting to think now he might have meant the co more complicated stuff like you were talking about mm -hmm. i just i'm not a fan i i think much of it's a bunch of crap always have thought that wow and yeah because that's i mean can you yeah, take yeah. that and and turn it can you take that book and turn out an athlete Who's going to be on the world championship stage in four years? Well, my question for you, Dan, is that's actually, now it's not a question, it's a statement. I knew when I started reading this, I was like, this clashes with everything that I have learned up until this far. I'm not, I haven't learned a lot until now, but I was like, I almost gave up on the book, yeah. but I kept pushing through because like you say, it's incredibly complicated material. Incredibly complicated material. Yet, do you think, and, and that's my honest question, do you think you can really, there's nothing, or you, you would discount it, say no. Listen, everything that's in there. Oh, no, no, it's not nothing. But, mm -hmm. you know, I think uh, it's up, I think I have it up here. I've got, uh, uh, up here somewhere, I've got Louis West Side book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, and honestly, if you just Pavel's Power to the People probably does a better job summarizing it. But when you finish Power to the People, if you actually finish it, you know it's a pretty simple program. He obviously has his bias, you know, in, in a mm -hmm. lot of things. But yeah, we all have. Uh, right. Yeah, we and we all have. Mm -hmm. And 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 I know I come off as a jerk when I say this kind of things, but and then the other thing, you you just and and and. I, I, I know Louis just passed away, so I'm not, mm -hmm. I am not mm -hmm. being at all rude, but Louis was absolutely clear that to do his methods, you know, you had to be uh, using anabolic support. And he says famously in the one video, which I, I admire him for saying it's, he goes, it's, it's not illegal to take drugs. It's illegal to get caught. To get caught. <laughs> yeah. And I love that phrase because it's <laughs> like, God, thank Here's the truth. 
thank you, Louie, for being honest. <laughs> I get these programs from people and it's like, yeah, this is what we're doing with the, our athletes. And then like five years later, I go, how are your athletes doing? And it is like a dumpster wow. fire of mm. heart attacks, blown out pieces of body. And so, mm. and now here's the thing. And I, mm. I think I told you this before. I was told by, it wasn't Yuri, it was another guy, that in the Soviet Union, and this guy was another thrower from the, one thing, after the fall of the, the wall, a whole bunch of Soviets and East European coaches just swelled the ranks in America and Canada. Mm -hmm. And it didn't take us long to figure out that a lot of these guys were full of shit. <laughs> I, mm. I got so many stories, wow. but it's inappropriate to talk about them because most mm. of them are dead now. Mm -hmm. But this was the idea. Once you went to the next level and you started on anabolic support as a hammer thrower, they knew if you were taking drugs already because they expected a 10 meter improvement almost instantly when you went on wow. anabolics. Yeah. And if you didn't, 10 meters? Yeah, that's crazy. So I threw the, the hammer. I was a discus mm. thrower, but I threw the hammer 62 meters. Mm -hmm. Going from 62 to 72? That's massive. That, that puts it? me in that. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that puts me in that convert. Now I'm basically sneaking up on national, international levels. And all I did was pop a pill. Mm. So this has to be discussed when we talk about these resources. And I know I come off as a douche when I talk about it. And I know I upset a lot of people, especially the druggies. But I say this all the time. I don't give a shit if you take drugs. I don't care. But if you get a massive heart attack or you get some kind of weird, like the those one that one bodybuilding coach that gave his athletes this wrong stuff, and they all got a, a form of leukemia from it. I just don't want to hear at towards the end of your days on earth about how you found Jesus. Personally, I didn't know he was lost. He's very, you know, I, it, I can give you a roadmap. I can show you where he's, he's sorry. Uh, I don't want to hear about, don't go on. Don't tell, don't preach to me after you beat me in a championship. Don't now preach to me about how you were so wrong back then. And now you're sorry. Contact, mm. contact the organization. Tell them you're cheating and mm. demand that I get that first place trophy. And you know who you are. It's funny how you mentioned that people who were on drugs or just on steroids and then they get off of it. They have achieved all this, all this, let's say like fame and wealth and they make a name for themselves and then they stand up and say, well, I think the bodybuilding world has gone crazy with roids. And then you're like, well, but you're, you're one of those who started it. How, how, oh. how, how can you even, you know, and I, I say this, I mean, I even have, I, I respect it. I, these, these are legends who say this, but then, yeah, then it comes off I, like, I, it's like, wow, really? Why, why don't you just shut up? Why, or you could be like, listen, I, I took them because I wanted to get my piece of the pie. So I understand these youngsters who want to do it like I did it. And there are risks involved. Stop it. I don't think you don't, you're not, you cannot have an opinion now being the king of the crop and now telling youngsters it's dangerous. We know it's dangerous, but then be like, you know, it comes off a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's the same vibe. I have, I have two yeah. or three friends of mine uh, and a couple of friends who have died, of course, who are absolutely candid about their drug use. Mm -hmm. And uh, to me, and I, I, since it was private, well, the one set at the Olympic training centers, but I, I'll just, I'll, 
I'll give him a little grace. But uh, very, very often I'll get, here's one thing I had a guy tell me one time. Ah, Dan, everyone makes a big deal about steroids. At most, I improve 10% on them. That's you. Hold on. Wait, hold on. I cleaned for uh, 182.5 clean without, I cleaned clean one for uh, 182.5. Mm-hmm. 20% more? Uh, 10% more? Yeah. That's 18 kilos. to 20 mm-hmm. kilos. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> well, instead of just being a part time Olympic lifter who, you know, then I sleep. Yeah. Sorry to get it, folks. I'm sure you tuned in to listen to kettlebells and all this, but this this stuff. I don't know. We, we got on this tangent, and, and now we're on it. And but let's move on from here because I just I, I find this very frustrating. Mm. Um, you know, especially when you when you find out the truth. You know, um, which is uh, sometimes you know sometimes you find out stuff, and you no, know, in 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 that case, let's just. Um, jump a little bit back because yeah. for me for me it's so incredibly important because when i read materials like this i'll just put it in perspective we read materials which are very complicated and and you know it, it makes it seem incredibly advanced and you know when i read stuff like this i remember you saying well if you perform better it's not because you suddenly started doing four sets of three and before you did four sets of five Exactly. Right. Yeah. So I, th- this keeps ringing in my mind. So I'm reading incredibly complicated stuff. And, and just for the record, we have a lot of coaches tuning in to what, to this podcast. So, and people who listen, who coach other people as well. So how can we take this then? It's, and for those who don't know, Yuri Verkhoshansky, he's a Russian sports scientist. Pavel talks about him. He does incredibly complicated stuff. What, what's the baseline then, you know, because I get it confused sometimes as well. Is it just everything is plain easy? It's hill sprints, it's jumps, it's, it's deadlifts, it's cleans, and then the rest is on the field. Get better, with, uh, get better at your, right? Here's the other thing that bothers me. Where's the bottom line? Be- because of this stuff, and it's funny because we, they, they'll give these guys credit for inventing periodization. Americans were periodizing long before these writers were born. I'm still a believer that you should have about six weeks a year of active rest. Okay. Mm-hmm. About six weeks a year. It's funny. Now we call it active rest. We used to call it rest. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds better, right? It active just said, you know, you go, go play another. In fact, I suggest I go this. play another sport about half the year, get the hell out of here. Wow. And then we had this period of general training, you know, we called it the off season training uh-huh. where you got, you worked on all your weaknesses. You, mm-hmm. you, you tried to fix your maybe your emotional issues, your uh, weaknesses, your physical weaknesses, mm-hmm. uh, any issues with mobility. Then there was this preseason where you tried to up the ante a little bit in your sport, but still experimenting, putting yourself out there, testing things. If you had a twelve-week preseason, I I loved having twelve competitions as a thrower and as a coach in the preseason having and it you know i wouldn't say every saturday it'd be nice to have one on a tuesday it'd be good to have one on a weird day like a morning competition in a rainstorm it'd be nice to have a a competition on a saturday with perfect weather you know where everyone sleeps in and meets at 11 o'clock 
you know, however you work it and just keep throwing different uh, things. Mm-hmm. And then you have in season where you're going to cut the lo- uh, cut the volume of, of lifting and you're become very, very sport specific. Mm. Folks, mm. that worked for generations. When America was the best in the world in track and field, we did it that way. Uh, that's how we did things and we were the best. Once, and of course, you know, don't forget your beloved uh, Werner Gunther lost to Mike Stolz at the Olympic finals, who basically trained just like I just told you. In fact, he his, his weight workouts were as simple as Jorn Svensson's workouts. You know, it was just one or two exercises a day. You go hard, you do some jumps, you go do your event. You know, uh, you hmm. clean and you, you clean and you bench press, you do some jumps, you go really heavy, and then you go throw the shot for a long time. And people say, well, well, that's not very, yeah, you won the Olympic gold medal. So I'm going to listen to that guy a little bit. And by the way, gentle listeners, if you want his, his programs, it's an it's in my archives at danjohn.net and just Google Mike Stoltz and, and it'll, it should come up right away. Okay. So if we would um, allocate percentages of, let's say like to, to become a great athlete and to win Olympic gold or whatever, you have 100%, right? So let's allocate this 100%. I'd like to get your take. How much would you allocate to mental? One uh, hundred. And, and give me. Yeah. <laughs> I know you said that last time. <laughs> mental training, the sports-specific stuff, and weight room. Okay, so for me, uh, I've always had a yin-yang model for the relationship between the the technical work mm-hmm. and the strength room. Mm-hmm. And they work together. Now, the key is those, you know, those two little eyes that are in the yin yang. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we'll say this is the strength side. So there's a little bit on the strength side that we would work technical. Maybe, maybe for my shot putter, we'd put a, a vest on him. Maybe for my shot putter, we'd have her throw with a slightly heavier standing throws with a heavier shot put. So there's no, that. Uh, I, no, wait. Okay. So in the way, okay, uh, I did that wrong. Hold on just a sec. So as a strength coach in the weight room, mm-hmm. we might do knee or press, you know, explosive for a shot mm-hmm. putter, explosive, boom, yeah. boom, boom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For a discus thrower, we might do uh, some kind of safe rotational exercise. Of course, now I would just say the suitcase carry and just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, out on the field, when we're throwing, so we might have a little a little bit of wearing a vest when we shot put where throwing an overweight implement a little bit um Mm -hmm. maybe well it's real obvious when you watch sprinters um not everyone agrees with this but if you're a 400 meter runner there's some value in doing 500 meters for time and there's value in doing 300 meters for time you know because those it's not 400 but it's you know, we'll get, we'll, we'll, by looking at those, that 300 meter time and the 500 meter time, we can get, we can infer certain things about conditioning and what qualities mm-hmm. we might need to tweak a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So for me, it's, if you can think yin yang with some over some technical work in the weight room, some Love weight that. work in on, on, in the, on the technical side. 
So it's always uh, you're in the sports-specific field, for me to reiterate and to understand it correctly. You have the sports-specific training, the, the discus thrower, right? Yeah. And then you throw in, you sprinkle in some weight stuff on on the uh, specific Overload, training side. Underload, mm -hmm. uh, a longer implement, mm -hmm. you know, uh, mm -hmm. throwing yeah. a throwing a long stick or, you know, mm -hmm. all those mm -hmm. kinds of things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you have in the weight room where you do your basic stuff, you overlap it with something, like you said, that that's some explosive work with the barbell, for example, something, that fits. And it could be something strange. You know, that's what Bondrachuk does so well. He had uh, Dane one time, he took a really, I think it was 40 kilos and he asked him to, uh, uh, so turn and then press. Wow. bring it down mm -hmm. turn and press and that it was just he goes because if that makes you throw farther we'll keep he would just experiment with things yeah and, it's the rotation right and then mm -hmm. the, so when i'm yeah, coaching, experimenting yeah yeah when i'm coaching throwers uh when my this is 12 years ago now but when my daughter uh lindsey we had her and uh chase callus they did kettlebell snatches um before they threw the discus because I felt the kettlebell snatch reflected. Um, it was, it was an experiment I was doing them with them. I would, and then uh, when they were doing, um, we also had a, we call it the BFR. Um, I don't want to swear, but big effing rock. Mm -hmm. And it was about a 30 pound rock and they would, they would turn and throw it. So, out on the field while they were throwing the shot put in discus they were mixing it with uh kettlebell work mm -hmm. some heavy rocks mm -hmm. and a he we had a heavy vest mm -hmm. that they would do some throws with actually mm -hmm. it was a heavy sandbag and they would snap it so it was like do you know what a good morning or hyper extension yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so it was a throwing mm -hmm. hyper extension oh wow mm -hmm. just to, and it wasn't and, and i i kept that muted so because i was worried about hurting the yeah, yeah, most definitely. So, so you, to me, that's the ultimate. It's called mixed training. Yeah, it's when mm -hmm. it's when you you're lifting and throwing. Yeah. Are combining it. Yeah. At the same time, mm -hmm. and that comes from Peter Sheen, uh, the great German coach. Peter Peter Sheen. T S H I E N E. T S H I E N. Chine. Chine. Yeah. Peter Chine. I got it. Got to check it out. And a German, German coach. Yeah. German coach. Right. Hard to find his material. Um, hard to find it. Okay. He, we'll, there's we'll, a lot of great coaches that didn't write books and were before the internet or yeah. they were like, yeah. and so you have to go to, you have to go to like old magazines. Like I, so up here. Oh, back here. So just yeah. to let you know how, you know, I don't just sit around and smoke dope all day. You know, I work hard. <laughs> yes. So like this is Discobolus magazine from 1963. Smells like old library in my office because it's an old library. Uh, and I have these studies yeah. that they were trying to do December, 1965, you know, so much value. Uh, well, yeah. And, oh, and, yeah. and so what I do with these is this gives me a chance, like the Brits had a guy named Bill Tancred and uh, 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 Howard Payne and 
these out, outstanding coaches that really we have forgotten a little. Nah, the Brits probably, I hope, didn't forget Howard Payne. Um, but there's these great coaches that uh, Howard wrote a couple books, yeah. But some of the others never wrote books, so we don't. And of course, who's going to read a book? You know, when Nowadays, I can go online. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, my question, Dan, you see, you see value in mimicking the sports-specific exercise. Let's say, like for example, let's take another example: a baseball pitcher. No. So you see value in experimenting. Using your sports-specific exercise, like the okay. pitch. Can I, can I tell you? The, can I tell you what I do with pitchers? Yeah, yeah. Please go ahead. Okay, so yes, we do use heavy balls, but we don't throw them this way because it's too hard on the rotator cuff. We throw heavy balls this way. So you got the backwards. ball and you throw it backwards, so that you know if you read Meyer's anatomy trains, we're trying to build up the opposite train. Mm -hmm. Here's an interesting thing with American baseball, and I recommend this to Javelin, a spiritosin, spiritosin, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, suitcase carries for pitching speed. When you do suitcase carries, somebody explained it to me after they, I told them to do suitcase carries to throw the ball faster, and then their their physio, their their trainer figured out why it worked. I don't care why it worked. If you throw faster, we're doing it. I don't want to know it. why. It works. <laughs> it worked, man. I don't care. Yeah. Jeez, 90% of my coaching is, I don't care. I, I it, it did it works. work. Let's do it. Let's do this. You know, I mean, um, so with the, with this pitcher, um, you know, maybe on the field, maybe on the field, we might have a medicine ball because I want the two hands, two hands will be safe or, you know, just doing explosive stuff. Um, suitcase carries and these backward throws would mm -hmm. blend in very nicely on the field of play. Mm. And if if you would say, okay, let's have the pitcher throw a heavier ball, no, doesn't this this interferes right with his? It's interfer with his... interference, yeah. Uh, no. So 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 that's that's what what we have to understand is the sports specific training that can really help, like for example, building up your breaks right with these back throws, right? Yeah, yeah, but, exactly what you do, yeah. Right, but but at the other but at the other hand. You don't want to interfere with the basic movement. For example, a basketball player starting dribbling with a heavier ball. No, this it's, this mixes up your your yeah. perception, right? And your fine tuning skills. Well, is that wonderful little thing? Uh, it's that bicycle that the guy made. And if you okay, when I turn a bike this way, it goes this way. Well, he engineered it so when you go like this, it goes this way. And it's 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 a way to study what's called neuroplasticity. Uh, how how your brain works mm -hmm. and to be honest neat i could not ride this bicycle now if i practice on it every day for a couple of weeks i will learn how to ride this bicycle that goes the wrong way here's the funny thing when i jump on my normal bicycle there is a few minutes where i can't ride a bicycle anymore now the interesting thing why there's a phrase in american english it's like right it The phrase is, it's like riding a bicycle. So like if you've been celibate for a long time, but you've had sex before, you kind of remember how to do it. Mm -hmm. It's like riding a bicycle. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, if you haven't typed in a long time, within a few seconds, it's like riding a bicycle. What's interesting that they say about this neuroplasticity is that you'll be sitting there on your old bike, the one you grew up as. You start riding is when you're five, you've been riding bikes your whole life. 
And then all of a sudden you'll go, oh, and you remember how to ride a bike, a normal bike again. And there's, it's been an important insight from this is that what we think is happening is that when you throw these heavy balls is that you're actually just starting a whole new set of synapses. Yeah. But the problem is now you have competing synapses yeah. in your oh, brain wow. I love this. and you have maybe this is a maybe folks, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but, but now is there value in having multiple ways to do something? Yes. But going from the violin to the viola, my, going from the violin to the bass, mm -hmm. you might be fine. Mm -hmm. But going from the violin to the viola, you might, you might have more struggles because they're a little too close. So what we're start, I'm starting to think, and most people are starting to think, is that if it's huge differences, it seems to help a lot. So a female shot putter throwing a uh, 16 kilo rock urgh, mm -hmm. doesn't hurt her four kilo shot put. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, but I, I see throwing, where you're coming from. Mm. But throwing a 4.5 kilo shot put. Wow. I don't, in the shot, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm just not sure. But the idea is, you you're too close so there, you're getting now you have to start a whole new line of thoughts wow. so if you're grossly apart it seems to help oh, that's i learned and that's why when i was a, an american football coach to when you go against the scout team uh i i noticed that if i had okay american football only allows olympic defenders but if i would put 14 defenders on the field three more than they're supposed to be there. The quarterback would keep doing all of his reads right on. And that extra three was such a, whoa, whoa, mm -hmm. he would throw tired throws. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if I only added one, it wasn't enough to get him thinking, to get him. Zoning so to be, a, to be a quarterback, you have to go uh, wide, narrow, wide, narrow very quickly in focus having 14 defenders seemed to help narrow him having 11 it was just like it was like putting one more cone on the field it didn't have any impact so so the the this the intensity or the the irritation has to be big enough compared to what you're usually doing for it to get some benefit out of it that you would normally have. But if it's too I, close, you probably are messing with your existing habits and synapses, and now they're getting cut and something new is built because it's too close, right? Uh, some Somewhere along that, those lines, right? You know, you can think about with competition, you use competition bells, yeah. and yeah. and there's I have two two problems with competition bells. One, they're made out of steel, and when they hit each other, they bounce. I don't like that. Mm -hmm. And the other, and I don't like the way the handle is. But the third thing, it they all look alike now mm -hmm. why is that a problem i can guarantee you if you're setting yourself up the snatch the 32k for 100 mm -hmm. reps in five minutes okay mm -hmm. and you're training that and i have you then i put a 4k in your hand how long does it take you to figure out the speed and the hit 
you ever notice that when you go from a big bell to an extremely light bell, not in the swing, not in the gobble squat, not in the mm-hmm. press, but in the snatch, mm-hmm. there's like, you, you tend to over, you have to regroove the rhythm to snatch a 4k. Well, the, the good thing about just for the competitions is, you know, I always look at the color, then my brain no. automatically. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? You, you yeah, have, I know where you're coming from. Most definitely. You have to make, you yeah. have to make tempo and rhythm changes yeah, most to deal with the bell. And a different. 4K, like for the one uh, workshop, uh, uh, it's called Fit Ranks. And part of what I had to do was pass this, this kind of complica- complex little circuit to pass the course. Mm-hmm. So I had to snatch, I think it was eight kilos, 80 times. Mm-hmm. And I can remember having to tamper down yeah, my the, snatch. Yeah, the velocity. You have to completely switch because there's too much energy coming from your hips. If you're used to heavier weights, yeah. then the bell, and, the bell always flies outside your hand. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was getting worried that yeah, I was yeah. going to do a 360 on <laughs> yeah, yeah. it. You know? So I made a decision <laughs> that I, I think I made the decision just to do yeah. one handed mm-hmm. because it was so light. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. to get yeah. the fatigue. Mm-hmm. And, and my thought was, <laughs> it's kind of an interesting thought is that I don't mind having, you know, I'm going to, I only have to make one adaption, but if mm. I switch hands, I have to rethink the whole thing through again, whether that's <laughs> true or not. I don't mm. know, mm. but this concept of neuroplasticity, I, I don't know how well, you know, the show Seinfeld at all, but, uh, there's, do you know Seinfeld? Yeah, I know comic? the show, but I've never seen okay. one of those episodes. One of the things that happens is George Costanza, Costanza decides that he's going to do, since his whole life is a miserable failure, that from now on, he's going to do everything the opposite of what he would normally do. Hmm. And all the, so he walks up to a beautiful girl and she's, and he says, I live with my parents. I have no job. And I look like this. And she goes, really? How are you? <laughs> and he ends up getting this great job. Well, mm-hmm. Marty Gallagher uses that example. And Marty Gallagher, the great powerlifting coach mm-hmm. and great powerlifter, mm-hmm. uses that example uh, uh, to talk about what we're talking about here is that uh, doing the opposite worked really well for him. So one of the things Marty's experimenting with is he's always walked in heavy hands and did hill sprints for mm-hmm. his conditioning. Mm-hmm. So he said, I'm going to do the opposite. And he decided to get into shape swimming. So he goes to the local pool, puts in the eyeglasses and the, mm-hmm. you know, and he does the thing. And he's talking about how his conditioning is actually weirdly getting better in his body composition. Now we all know with body fat and body composition that we want our exercises to be inefficient as possible. Now, if Marty decides to become an international level swimmer and trains seven hours a day within a few months, because he's becoming so efficient as a swimmer, he's his body composition gains are probably going to the opposite because it actually helps be a little fatter to swim better. Mm-hmm. So his efficiency in the pool mm-hmm. will be oh, his this. efficiency in the pool is going to make him fatter. So just before you hit that, it's time to go find time another to way to lose fat. See you. See the, the crazy thing is you're now just proving my 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 point of why there is a need to combine the sport hard and style hard style with sport because, because if 
Yeah. If you're only Hard tuning, style is very inefficient. Yes, because if you're only using efficiency, you're not making any gains. You're totally working into endurance then. And uh, I mean, if you're not impressive. on professional level, and even on professional level, you have the lightweight dudes lifting these heavy weights because they're completely, completely efficient. And you know what's funny? The funny thing is, I saw very well-known sport guys, legends in the game, kind of tweak their Instagram to a certain extent, where they started doing, you know, squats and press and stuff, you know, stuff that the, the rest of the world does, you know, and something caught my eye and i was like wow you're not used to tension your oh, get up just... is a mess you don't and... have no tension my man because yeah, you're used to be working efficiently using your body as a lever you know yeah fascinating no tension so nice. the antidote would be do some hard style swings some some strict presses some squats fascinating i was like wow if, if you are a heavyweight in the game, you show a Turkish get up like this, everybody respects you, but everybody be like, I don't know, that's a Turkish get up. Fascinating. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Wow. Wait, pardon me, yes? Do you need me? Okay, sorry, it's my daughter. Yeah. Come say hi to Gregory. So yeah, so you're, you're, you're hitting on it exactly. Mm. And uh, this is my friend Gregory. Gregory. Hello. Lindsay. Lindsay. She's, she's nice that, to meet you. She's that state champion shot put I was telling you about. Awesome. That's what's up. <laughs> nice yeah. to meet you, Lindsay. Nice to meet you too. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's my baby. And she has her baby, Leo. And he's wonderful. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so I think this is a point that it took us a while to get to. But if you can remember this, I think this is where so with your body composition clients, okay, they have there has to be some nutritional intervention, okay, yeah, yeah. some, mm -hmm. they, they, whatever that is, if it's a way of eating like, whatever I does it, Atkins, Eads, uh, vegan, whatever it is, vegan doesn't seem to work well for body comp from what I've seen, um, but whatever it is, okay, you're gonna mm -hmm. do high, you know, there's got to be some. After that though, everything becomes inefficient exercise. And when someone starts to master, if you're in a, an aerobics class, pretty soon aerobics class gets pretty easy. Mm -hmm. Come over to me, we're gonna do kettlebell work. Mm -hmm. And when you master how to cheat at every single exercise, we're gonna have you go over to the powerlifting platform and train with Marty. When uh, after about six months of heavy lifting, we're gonna send you over to the Olympic lifting platform with Dave Turner. Mm -hmm. And if you, cause you're those mm -hmm. first couple of months while you, sort of suck in every of these new endeavors that's where the real body composition is going to happen wow there's a i have a book up here by millie brown and she's got this great it's, it's called she it's for uh beginning triathletes and i always love the book so i bought another copy of it she calls it float coast float coast and shuffle that's how you, you do a triathlon in the beginning. You float in the water, yep. you coast on your bike, and mm -hmm. you shuffle when you're supposed to run. And I love it. So if you're now, here's the thing. Five years later, you're in your, your high-tech aerodynamic suit. You've got your aerodynamic hat. You got your aerodynamic gloves, and you ride the whole, you know, triathlon yeah, yeah. like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
you're not going to burn as much fat as when you're on my bike riding like <laughs> on an air bike <laughs> destroy yourself wow yeah. i love this so efficient mm -hmm. so now mm -hmm. we're going to slide over to discus throwing now who wins in the discus throw well it, there are some physical things if you're two meters tall and we have the same technique you're going to throw farther but mm -hmm. we want to have the most efficient technique we can possibly have mm -hmm. there has to be a tempo to it there has to be a rhythm to it mm -hmm. he who wins the rhythm at the big meets wins the big meets um you know you know you don't want to be hitting the cage with your throws so in track and field does body composition count yeah there there is it does make a difference but you need your energy systems and your dna and hopefully good dna to work together to get you around the track faster so as a runner, thrower, jumper, you need to have extremely efficient technique. And then in the field event side, you need to have the, the rhythm of it. And on the, on the track side, you need to have that ability. Well, either the high end speed to just, you know, leave the pack behind you or the, the, the kind of speed endurance that it needs to win your particular event. So would you say a track track and field athlete needs the efficiency in his sport, of course, to to max out the maneuver with with you know the as as energy wise with a capacity that that is just that doesn't burn him out or burn her out, but that's just it has to be the sweet spot, right? But when this person hits the weight room, let's do some inefficient stuff. No, no, no. Well, in track and field, you have to actually be extremely efficient in the weight room uh -huh. because you want all your neuroplasticity. You want all That's your, yep. you, you, you want the biggest engine you can get at the lowest price. So you wouldn't give a track and field athlete or a runner a heavy squat? No, you might. No, actually, that might be really good. Five sets of one, five sets of two. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so again, this, this big difference right this yeah is... mm -hmm. yeah whereas a bodybuilder might do you know you know like uh tom platts he yeah. used to do uh four sets of 20 in the back yeah. squat with 405 four sets yes. of 20 with 185 like pounds yeah. and you know he would get up to 300 kilos for you know reps he's a bodybuilder yeah completely different and we have to understand this yeah and he mm -hmm. for him the volume mm -hmm. and intensity and the short rest periods mm -hmm. and of course mm -hmm. and all the other garbage they put in themselves mm -hmm. that's what they're doing mm -hmm. was you know there's that famous story of tom platts and uh, fred hadfield having this squat off and that's great but you would never hand a basketball to either of those guys nor would you hand a discus to them those guys were built their dna was perfect for that squat off mm -hmm. but so when i've got great respect for both of them and in fact i've got all their books but at the same time you got to be very careful about so here's something that worked for a power lifter and it worked for a bodybuilder <gasps> yeah it's not going to work for a track now does that stuff work for an american football player or rugby player then i have to say well yeah i want my rugby players to weigh them right yeah I want him to weigh 110 kilos and Gregory weighs 80. If he wants to play at the level he's at, he's got to get stronger mm -hmm. and he's got to get bigger. He's, 
you got it. So we have to slide you over into mass building because mm -hmm. your, your opponents weigh 110 and yeah, you might be more explosive on the first play, but they're just going to wear you down with that extra 20, 30 kilos. It's context, right? Uh, this, this, this uh, the word of, welcome the word to of the, my world. Yeah, the word of fitness. So two, two things, Dan, I'm stealing a lot of your time. I'm always waiting for you to say, okay, Gregory, that's it. But I keep pushing until you say stop, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Dan, two things. What I love is you just, because I heard about it today, um, because I'm listening to this audio, audio book from Charles Duhigg, uh, habits or the the power of habits i think it's called. okay yeah it's it's a great great book okay. and because you said i want let's take this complex complicated stuff away with the weight room i'd like to have you perform a track and field or a shot put in the rain or in the storm or right or something that is because it may happen right it may oh. happen we have bad weather now you better <laughs> step up to the plate and now what, what's crazy is in the book, he says, Michael Phelps story, the guy jumps into the pool is a habit machine. He, he, he does everything according to habits. That's why he's, he was one of the greatest, uh, one of the reasons. So his, his goggles fill up with water, but he manages to pull it off, pulls off a world record with, with blind. He, he was blinded. Every other athlete would have been caught off guard or would have stopped, but his coach made him run laps in the dark because he had, he anticipated. <laughs> it just reminded me. There are some good books out. Um, yeah, I like the book. I think it was in talent code where it talked about Rory McElroy. I think it is the mm -hmm. Northern Irish golfer. And as a kid, he wasn't real rich, but he had a, a an old washing machine in, in his backyard. And he used to just practice chipping into the, and his goal every day was to get a certain number of balls into the hole of it. And the interesting thing is that, you know, I've, I've, I've talked to golfers and they said, oh yeah, if you just practice chipping as a young kid, that, cause it teaches you every other skill of the game <laughs> of golf. So he just fell into this thing. And it's interesting how, when we look at these people who are superlative, very often, it's those little, the gems that they share with us, swimming in the dark, um, you know, whatever. I mean, every sport, something happens and you have got to learn. For example, if I'm going to train bicyclists, I'm going to train them to get off their bicycles so we can get the wheels, you know, wheels replaced if they get a flat. I'm going to train them. We're going to have, we're going to have timed events where they have to get off their bike and do a quick repair. Or, you know, we've got to teach them these things. Because you because see it all, these time, all the time. The guy's crying on, on the sidewalk because the bike's broken. And, yeah. You got to train it. You got to train it mentally. Um, when Germany had that great run a couple of years back in the World Cup, uh, they, it was obvious that they were training dead ball situations uh, harder than any other team. I don't know soccer football very well. But it was crystal clear to me that when Germany had, was in a dead ball situation, they were a little bit better than their opponents. When the game was wide open, when it was one-on-one, -on -one, very often the opponents were better. But when the ball stopped and the team had to play, Germany seemed to, to pick up. 
So the job of a coach sometimes is to just say, okay, we're not the best here, but they're not here. They're not very strong here. So let's beat them here. Let's beat them where they're weak or what they're not focused on. And we have a great American coach, I think, Bill Belichick, and his 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 rule is do your job. And he focuses, and it's interesting because my high school coach, uh, our defense was based on the idea that if everyone did their job, and usually you have three jobs. I'm doing the European way to count the three mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. this way, the American, mm-hmm. just so I don't lose your audience. Yeah. Um, the, <laughs> They're mostly Americans, but it's really fine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if I did my three jobs and everyone else on the defense did their three jobs, that meant that your team had, we were covering 33 things. That means you to beat us, you had to get to your 34th, 35th, and 36th things you do well. Well, that's pretty hard to do is to go. It's hard to find your 34th best thing you do, especially when we've shut down the 33 things you do best. And so when you work with, when you work with athletes, that's why I like to throw in crappy conditions. Most of the time I coach, I coach kids on grass or AstroTurf versus concrete because I want them to have a little slip and slide when they do their discus or shot put work. Uh, yesterday I worked with my javelin thrower out here on the asphalt because I wanted him to practice on a real hard, crappy surface because uh, this, the, you know, very often in track meets here in Utah, there might be a runway or it might be grass or it might be asphalt. And you've got to practice that. You've got to be prepared mentally. And asphalt, by the way, when you hit, when you stab the, the implement, um, the, 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 the impulse, the, the, the throw itself, asphalt slides, by the way, because there's little, little tiny rocks on it. So you got to get used to that little boom, that boom. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, so one of the jobs as a coach isn't just necessarily have all these charts and programs and you should be peaking. You might be Gregory in the best shape of your life, but if you've never thrown the rain, yeah. I'm going to kick your ass. Yeah. <laughs> I love this. It's it. You know what? You know what? Just, I get this image where like, I'd rather have a coach who takes a bird eye, bird's eye view of, of the fundamental things yeah. that, that, that are necessary for me to be at my best at whatever it is then instead of coming up with 30 different charts where we have now we train this type of speed this type of speed this type of speed and now it rains and now it's all gone i i can't compete (laughs) i have an my athlete uh my i i work at this university and i have a thrower who if i have improved in one year 50 percent in the discus and saturday she won the conference meet which i'm very proud of wow and when you watch me coach her there's no charts. There's no forms. I'm constantly trying to challenge. I, I, I love the word neuroplasticity. I, I love it. <laughs> I'm constantly trying to challenge her. So I will come up and I'll say, I want you to do this on this throw. And I'll put weird things in her hands. I'll put bags, you know, so she has to jump over bags. She has to touch a cone with her foot. She has to do that. Constantly challenging her so that the whole throw is basically the same, 
but we're adding a little bit of something to it. So she has to keep rethinking what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Fascinating. And if you, if, if you trust me, you improve. And if you don't, you don't trust the process, right? One, one last, maybe write that down somewhere. Yeah. 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 You, I, I, I wrote many things down that you told me and, and it now just, you know, it's great. It's like, the antidote to when you go into complex stuff like this, because I knew I, I, I got to ask Don, uh, Dan, John. Now, one thing I went the easy strength book. Mm. When is it? Is it already out? No, no. In fact, uh, do we have a date on this? Because uh, I, I yeah, got to read your stuff. Fall and we are at uh, 303 pages, wow. 106,000 words. Wow. Uh, so fall 22 is the, is the, I, I think so. I think okay. so. Awesome. And then yeah. on the site, what I'm thinking of doing on Dan John university is just letting people have the book basically for free. But here's the idea is I'm going to do a video introduction to every chapter. And then, so video introduction, read the chapter boop, video. So, so there's, me talking about what you're about to read I, i think i think this is 2022 we have the technology yeah, video video is is powerful video and works then it'll be a well. so it'll be a book it'll be an audio book it'll be a video plus audio uh awesome. video yeah. plus written book oh, i like that i'm going, going to get it like most that, definitely yeah, yeah. yeah so, so one, it's going one, well yeah. one last thing and it's awesome to hear Dan. one last thing i have um Just like to get your take on this, because I've talked with Sean Mosen, I've talked with Paul McElroy from Ireland, mm. and we both came kind of to the same conclusion, and I'd like to get your take. Um, we talked about efficiency, right? So um, if we, let me set this up. If we implement a movement pattern for a certain exercise that doesn't work, yet we're still forced to do it, then I have some, some kind of gripe with it. And I don't understand why, why it's, why we even do it. And Sean and Paul and me, we talked about the snatch test of RKC and strong first. So this is just my thought. What I do not understand is if we are telling people to do 100 snatches with a 24 kg in five minutes. So that's a 20 RPM. That's incredibly fast. And we teach, or as far as I understand it, uh, I've been taught from Luca, the, the, the snatch and heart style. And the idea is, I love how Bill Ash coins it. He says it's like powerlifting with kettlebells. Everything is incredibly tight, incredibly hard. So it's complete difference, the snatch and the heart style, complete difference to a snatch in kettlebell sport. Why then do 100 reps with 24 kg with an efficient movement pattern. I do not get it because uh, people are asking oh, me. I, I, can't, I can't defend it. It's a, it's a, it's why? It's the, cause it's the company policy. I, I don't, this is what they say. I, and I, it, it, it's what it is, right? Because, yeah. the, it, because it doesn't make sense. I do so, understand. I do understand. And just re reiterate it. I love where heart style RKC strong first, the idea where they come from. I love the tension. I love the idea of, of, because it's even more applicable to people to understand it than kettlebell sport. I do get it. But why then make a coach who, who, who under, gets to 
know this, this, the, the philosophy and the training idea, ideas and the methodology of this particular style, mm -hmm. then make, him, make this person make a test where you completely need a kettlebell sport technique to master it better. And a 24 kg at 20 RPM is incredibly hard. Why? You Why think it's hard. Okay. That's funny. You think it's hard and I think it's okay. I, I, it's, it's the standard. You think it's I, easy? It's, 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 or how, how I don't do want to do it, it right now, but yeah, I don't think it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, it's, okay. it's a standard. Um, what, here's the thing, for example, uh, for the two, the RKC two, the original plan was mm -hmm. you had to press the beast and you had to do 200 snatches in 10 minutes within half an hour. I still like that standard. And of course, nobody else does. I've done that. And I'll tell you one thing, you you learn a lot about, I'd recommend, by the way, doing the, the beast press first, in case you're wondering, um, just because those are really hard things to do. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the idea, I, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and, mm -hmm. and I, I can't defend it. I mean, I think it, it is what it is. Um, what, what I change, if I, I, I'm thinking about doing more of a user course and I've already started working on it. I call it the one kettlebell workshop mm -hmm. where we just do one kettlebell and that would be things. And it would include the swing, the goblet mm -hmm. squat, mm -hmm. uh, the windmill family, which mm -hmm. includes the Turkish getup in my opinion, uh, the snatch, the walks and the clean and press, the mm -hmm. one kettlebell workshop, the one, these are the things that most people can do yeah. most yeah. of the time. Yeah. And of course, I also think there's a value of a double kettlebell workshop, but really yeah. it would take the workshop would last seven minutes. So I don't know, you know, this is the double clean. Here's the double press. Here's a double front squat. It's, yeah. It's a complete different beast, especially when you work with, it, with competitions. I love what you said when they bang, you know, and, and yeah. you know, what's beautiful, even when, when you get the technique down pat and the fine tuning, the, even the AKGs don't bang anymore because you get, you get, you get the feeling for them and then they stop banging. Yeah. But it's a complete different beast with the competition in, yeah. in many cases. And, oh, yeah. and so I even let's say like, OK, the test has to be hard, which is it's, it's great because, yeah, we, we need some toughness. I do get it. It's, it's OK. But the movement pattern doesn't make sense for this time frame. So 20 RPM and you can switch, right? You can switch every 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 yeah, side. I every recommend. I recommend 20, 20, 15, 15, 10, 10, 5, 5. Okay, so you can switch all, all the yeah, time. Yeah, and I like, yeah. uh, and, and, and my, if you're part of my tribe, you don't stop at 100. You go for as many as you can. And you mm -hmm. go as many as you can. Because that way you can have, you can one up each other for the rest of the weekend. So if I'm coaching you, you had better pass that weekend. I almost put the F bomb in there. <laughs> it's fascinating. See, this is where I see, I, I just, I see the, the, the yeah, it's fine, you know, but mm -hmm. if you ever decide to have your own kettlebell organization, you're going to go to about three certs and go, I don't, I can't believe that asshole is going to represent me. And so you're going to, you're going to want to have more standards. <laughs> standards yeah. It's been an interesting yeah. watching who has failed that test in the past. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people come in, they look like they're big engines, but they, they, they can't handle it. And then you get somebody else. It doesn't look very good. Uh, I'm thinking of one person who's actually, he's a Roman Catholic priest and he passed, he passed the test. Wow. And, 
he he does it because he loves he, he he trains a group at his parish which i think that's just kind of a cool story i mean mm. and uh he he just dusted that uh snatch test off but he doesn't look he doesn't you know i mean if we go out to dinner you wouldn't know that he's uh can snatch that a hundred times he doesn't look it so you know but that's the thing man you know mm. he, we are still so consumed by how we look in in this yeah. particular field. And the hey, and I the will have to bounce though. Yeah. I'm going to have to go to practice, okay? Dan. I got wow. track practice, so. I I enjoyed one and a half hours. Wow, this is uh I yeah. feel blessed. It's awesome. Yeah. It's well, awesome. let's do this again. You know, uh um, Most definitely. And and the thing is, I have strong opinions about some things and I'm willing to discuss others. So gentle listener, when you hear that I I say it's no good. I didn't just smoke dope and just come up with an opinion. I wasn't sitting around drinking beers. Hey, bro, what do you think? No. When I have a strong opinion on something, it's not just from one conversation or one. It's 30, 40, 50 years in, in the, in the building. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you're looking for kettlebell courses that can help you lose weight, build muscle, and improve your kettlebell technique, then check out the Laborstock Academy. Let us help you discover a new perspective on kettlebell training, making it simple and easy for you to understand. Join the waiting list of your desired course now and secure your spot when it's open for enrollment. Link is in the description.